You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. So good to see all of you. Um, I always enjoy the time of welcome because it's amazing to hear the the chatter and all that. Um, My name is uh, Jesus Rodriguez. I am the interim pastor here at New City. Uh, I go by Chewy, so please call me Chewy. Um, You don't have to call me pastor. You can just call me Chewy. It's absolutely fine. You're not going to go to hell for that. I (laughs) promise you. Um, And um, I have the privilege today of sharing the word with all of us. So before I, I, I start, I want to go ahead and pray. And uh, then we're going to spend some time in, in the book of Ephesians that we just started. Dear God, thank you for your word and the blessing that we have to be able to open it together and learn from it and um, access it, have many copies at home and study it uh, freely without any fear of being uh, persecuted or threatened in any way, I I pray that uh, today you would use your word to speak to our lives, to challenge us, um, to bring transformation in our lives, but also to confront us and and, and to shape us in the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that the result of this would be that we go and share this with others so that other people as well can get to know you and be saved. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So we are uh, starting a new series in the book of Ephesians. So if you have a Bible, please uh, go ahead and open it with me. And we're going to be on Ephesians chapter 1. And two weeks ago, we started from verse 1 all the way to 14. And we were not able to finish it because we um, uh, went into some deep waters called uh, predestination and election. So we spent a lot of time talking about that, and we had a lot of fun. I uh, hope you did. Um, and so verses 1 to 14 of the first chapter of the book of Ephesians is just one long sentence in the original language, which is Greek, and um, we don't want to split it into, into, into different parts. So I'm, I'm trying to preach that in two separate sermons. So today is the second installment of that. And um, for, for, uh, for context, the letter uh, that we're studying was written by the Apostle Paul during his imprisonment in Rome, and it, it was directed to the church in Rome. There's also a little bit of talk about uh, that uh, this wasn't necessarily only uh, directed to the church in, in Ephesus, I'm sorry, but uh, there was a, a letter that was to be circulated around uh, that area in Asia. But... Um, it's a good uh, letter for us to learn. In fact, the letter to the Ephesians is considered by some theologians uh, one of the most popular and influential documents in the entire Christian church history. So we get to uh, dive a little bit more and learn from it. So we'll see two different sections in the book of Ephesians. The first section is chapter 1 to 3, and it's going to be very theologically heavy. Uh, there's going to be a lot of... Um, 
looking back at the Old Testament and defining terms that we're going to uh, talk about. Uh, and then the last, four, uh, the last uh, three chapters, chapters 4, 5, and 6, are very practical. It's basically uh, the gospel in, in theological terms, and then the last three chapters is how we apply the gospel to our daily lives. So that's how we're going to take this book, and we're going to take our time to read through it and learn uh, from it. So let me go ahead and read it again, and uh, then we're going to just do a quick review of last week or two weeks ago, and then we'll uh, jump right in, back into it. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to, the, to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who, uh, we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, something that I highlighted la uh, the last sermon was that one of the things that I learned a lot uh, the first time I studied this was that Ephesians chapter 1, this, this long sentence, highlights how the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all work to save us. And this is something that I want to highlight again. And last, last week, uh, when we uh, did this the first time, I highlighted that the Father is the one that decrees. He's the one who plans. And part of that is that he chooses us, that he predestines us, that he elects us to be, to be saved. And in fact, we talked a little bit about that, how that happened and the positions that some Christians take, uh, being Arminianism and, or Calvinism on how God predestines us. I talked about how uh, this is a controversial uh, topic or doctrine, yet all Christians believe in it. It's just how you define it that makes the difference. Um, but the fact is that it is clear from script, Scripture that this happened before the foundation of the world. God chose us or selected us or elected us uh, before the foundation of the world. And Ephesians tells us that this is a spiritual blessing. Actually, uh, part of this is that God bless us with everything 
He literally says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And the emphasis of this is basically all the things that are spiritual that God has done for us that supersede our world. So the emphasis of the blessings that we find in this chapter are not the typical blessings that you and I talk about on a regular basis, which is food or clothing or joy or happiness. These are mostly spiritual blessings. And the first one is the one that the Father does. He chooses us. He predestines us. And we talked a little bit about that. Then we, then we also talked about how or why he does that. And we said that based on Ephesians 1, that the Father chooses us because of his will. He chooses us because he has a purpose. And then we, we notice that there's a constant emphasis on this uh, text about God's will. Verse 1 says, Paul is an apostle of Christ by the will of God. Verse 5 says that God predestined us according to the purpose of his will. Verse 9 says that God revealed his will to us, making known to us the mystery of his will. Verse 11 says that everything that he just said was according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So the reason why God blesses us and chooses us and elects us and predestines us is because he has a purpose, because of his will. And we, are, we actually talked about how it's almost impossible or impossible for us to know exactly why. We read Psalm 139 where, where David says that such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And then he says, how precious to me are your thoughts. Oh, God, how vast is the sum of them. We talked about the difficulty that we as humans have in, in making sense of things that God does. But the reality is that God operates based on his will. And we as his children need to trust that. We also talked about Psalm 115 that says that our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. God doesn't need to ask permission from anybody to do whatever he needs to do. Psalm 135 also says whatever the Lord pleases, he does. And that's the truth. That's what I actually tell my kids sometimes when they're asking me, why do we have to go to church today? And I say, well, because God says, and I say so too. And in a way, that's exactly what happens with God. He is our creator. He is our father. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He chose to choose us because he has a purpose and because it is his will. And that is the father's doing. So, in a sense, the father is the one who's plotting, planning, decreeing what's going to happen in all creation and specifically in this text, how he's going to save us. And the first thing the Father does is he chooses us. And today we're going to move on to what is it that the other two uh, persons of the Trinity will do for us. And the first one is going to be what Christ does for us. And it is, this is interesting because an inter interesting aspect of God's will is, is mentioned in verse 9. And, and he says there's a mystery of his will. And this is not the first time that Paul talks about this, and we uh, talked briefly about this previously, that this is a, a reference to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, in Colossians, Paul says, was the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And what is this? 
To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of, the, of this mystery. And then he plainly says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we talked about that God decreed salvation for all of us. He chose us. He planned it. He predestined us. And through Jesus, he kept a secret Throughout the generations, the Old Testament is all this plot building up to the consummation of all the things that will happen in the end. But in the middle, there is the, what, what theologians call the hermeneutical key of the entire Bible. It's Jesus. It's the key that we utilize to develop or understand the entire Bible. And this is the mystery that God's, God was hiding or, uh, yeah, hidden, hiding from us and was revealed to us. The salvation through Jesus Christ. The Father planned and he sends his Son to execute everything that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire law. Do you remember Jesus is walking, uh, or there's two of his disciples walking back from a, a place called Emmaus after Jesus dies, and Jesus appears to them, and he literally tells them that all the prophets... All the law was fulfilled in him. He was the one that they were all talking about. And this is the mystery that God hid for ages and generations. Jesus himself. And if you notice, this passage is full of Jesus. There's 14 verses that we just read. And on these 14 verses, there's 11 times where Jesus is mentioned. Eight of them explicitly and three times implicitly. We hear the, the, the phrase or the, or the word in Christ, in the beloved, in Jesus Christ, in him. And what God is saying is, I chose this and I executed, I, I decreed this plan and it's happening through Jesus Christ. And the blessings that God has given to us continue in Jesus to us today. So let me just highlight a few of the blessings that this passage tells us that we have been given in Christ. In Jesus, based on this passage, we're blessed in verse 3. We are sanctified also in verse 3. We are redeemed in verse 7. We are forgiven in verse 7. We have been adopted in verse 5. And we have been given an inheritance in verse 11. Those are just a few of the blessings that God has given to us through Jesus Christ. The blessings that the Father has given us in Christ are immense, are great. And in fact, the text tells us that they're every spiritual blessing. Paul Tripp, you, some of you know him, uh, talks about this and he says that the, the, the phrase in Christ means that you have already been given everything you need for life and godliness. Here's what's important about, about carrying this identity with you. That if you forget who you are in Christ, you quit, seeking, you quit seeking what belongs to you in Christ. And when you have forgotten who you are in Christ, you begin to seek horizontally what you have been already given vertically. So the word in Christ is a definition of who we are as Christians. And who you are as Christian begins by understanding that you have been blessed. And then continues by understanding that you, you're not only blessed, 
you're also being sanctified. So part of your identity means that God is shaping you. Sanctification means to make holy. It means to separate. And this means that the Christian, once he becomes a Christian, and once he is being regenerated and justified, this person begins a process of separating himself from the world. This means that part of our salvation is that God is working in us so that we can get better and become more like Jesus. So let me tell you this. If you are a Christian, you probably already know some of the really bad things that you have. Some of the really serious sins that you have in your life. There are a bunch of things that you don't like about yourself. And let me tell you something. There is somebody who's more interested in you getting better at those things than yourself. And it's God himself. Part of your sanctification is God shaping and molding and eliminating and cleansing all of those things out of you. John 15 literally says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then Jesus pleads for us, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus pleads to the Father so that he can separate us from the world, even though we are in the world, because he's making us new. We are a new creation. So I want to tell you that part of the blessing that you have in Christ, apart from being chosen, apart from everything else he's done, is that God is working in you. Through his spirit, he is interested in making you a better person. I know this is not the emphasis of our Christianity, but it happens. Part of you being a Christian is that God begins to separate you from the rest, separate you from your old sin, from your old sinful person. He's working in you. He's working through the pains that you're going through. He's working with, uh, through the people around you. He's working through the situations you're facing right now. He is shaping you. He's making you more like Jesus through everything you're going through right now. He's working in those areas that you already know you need work. But he's also working in those areas you don't even know you need work. He's sanctifying us. But then it gets better. He not only sanctifies us, but he also says that, or the Bible says that he has redeemed us, redeemed us. And redeem means to compensate for the faults, for the faults or the bad aspects of something or someone. Verse 7 makes it clear. He has redeemed us through his blood. And what that means is that Jesus pays for us before the Father. Jesus compensates to the Father on our place for our faults. Jesus pays for our sins. And he pays with his blood. That means that he died to pay for our sins. And the reason why is because what is the wage of sin? How do you pay for your sin? Through death. And Jesus becomes our substitute on the cross So that we don't have to have an eternal death. He comes and he dies in our place. He suffers in our place. He takes all of our sins on the cross. And through his blood, he redeems us. He compensates for our faults to the Father. And this is the blessing 
that we have in Christ. That even though he could probably send us all to heaven, uh, to hell, he decided to come down and bless us by redeeming us. And the good news is that you don't have to pay for your sins anymore. This is key for our faith. Christianity is not a faith, a system, a doctrine that tells you to behave so you can earn heaven. Christianity is not about what you can do or what you bring to the table. Christianity has only one message, and it's the message of what Jesus can bring to the table or has already brought to the table. Christianity is about what Jesus did for you. Christianity is about how he has redeemed us. Christianity is about how he sanctifies us. Christianity is about how he chooses us. It's not about us. And the blessings continue to get better. He not only redeems us, sanctifies us, chooses us, he also forgives us. He forgives us. Uh, quick question. Maybe an emotional question. You don't have to answer the question. Can you think right now of someone who has really hurt you? Can you think of someone who has really been disrespectful towards you? Can you think of someone that has probably done some really bad things to you? And now ask yourself how easy it is for you to forgive that person. Now, if you take into play the fact that you're not perfect, and if you take into play that you know that person is also not perfect, and you don't fully know the, the, the motive of that person, we should say that it's probably easier for us to forgive. Now, utilizing the same example, think of this. You have a perfect God who knows everything. You have a perfect God who does not sin. You have a perfect God who loves you and created you. You have a perfect God who gives you a beautiful earth. You have a perfect God who has given you arms and eyes and a mouth and a job and everything that you own and you have in this life. He has given it to you. He loves you. He's perfect. He is amazing. And then we have turned our backs on him. We have said, I don't care about you. I'm going to do everything I want, the way I want it, and we do this daily. And you know what his response is to us? Forgiveness through his son, Jesus Christ. God has forgiven us. God has not seen what we've done to him and instead chosen to see what Jesus has done for us on the cross. If you are a believer, this is what Jesus does. Jesus comes, takes our place in the cross, and when God sees you, he sees the blood of Jesus upon you. And he sees you as if you're completely innocent. He doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus on the cross when he sees you. In fact, the Bible says that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has separated us or separated our sin from us. And it's all done in Jesus Christ. And not only that, he adopted us. I believe, and this is an example that I always give, I believe that if I'm going to forgive somebody who has wronged me, I'm okay with just saying, you know what, I forgive you, but just please stay away from my life. 
In fact, there's many people who fall under, under, under that category in my life that I've actually said that. Like, I'll forgive you. It's, it's okay. Just make sure it doesn't happen again, and please stay 20 miles from me. <laughs> but you know what God did? He not only forgave us, he adopted us. Take, that, take, take the same example. Think of the same person. And now think that you make him part of your family and bring him to your home. That's exactly what God did with us. He forgave us, and now he makes us part of his family. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. He not only forgave us and paid our sins with the blood of his own son, he now brings us and makes us part of his own family. The very king, the sovereign king of everything, has made us part of his whole family. First John says it beautifully. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. That's amazing. He not only paid for my sins, he now makes me his son, and guess what? He's going to be with me forever. And this is another thing that, that this text says. He has given me an inheritance. In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. What inheritance is this? It's an inheritance that we will get later. And this inheritance means or includes a lot of different things. Let me just name a few of them. The inheritance that we have in Christ are a brand new home. Perfect home. A brand new heaven, a brand new earth. And a brand new perfect body. Just that last one is amazing. Imagine a, a body that doesn't get fat. Imagine a body that doesn't ache. There's no sicknesses. And that is part of our inheritance. It sounds like a sales pitch. How would you like a brand new home, a brand new earth, and a brand new body forever and everything is perfect? Are you in? But it doesn't end there. The best part of this is that part of our inheritance, it's not only that, it's himself. The best part of everything is that he's giving us these things as a setting where we can enjoy him. It's not the house. It's not the new heaven. It's not the new body that counts or is the best part. It's that that is going to allow us to finally experience himself in a perfect place. That is inheritance. God himself is our inheritance, and he will be there forever. Have you ever pondered that one day you will be able to physically touch, hug, and kiss the king of the universe? Have you ever pondered the idea of looking into the creator's eyes? That's what's going to happen. And this is something we need to be reminded. This is, what, this is why we're here right now. Because this is not a fantasy. This is not a myth. It's actually going to happen. 
The God who made everything has chosen you, has adopted you, has redeemed you because he wants you to spend eternity with him. And that's going to be amazing. And if you're here, I want to tell you, if you've had a rough life, you're probably not even going to remember. All of that is going to melt away in front of love's eyes. If you've never had a good father, or a, or a good mother, or a good family, <laughs> you're going to have the best family you've ever dreamed of. If you're a single mom, and you've never had a good experience with husbands, you're going to celebrate the wedding that has never been celebrated before, and you're going to marry the best husband that will never fail you ever. And this is just part of our inheritance. This is what he promises us in this chapter. And it gets better because the Father chooses us. Christ comes and dies for us in our place and saves us and offers, you, offers us these things. But then he sends us a guarantee. Verse 14 says it. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. The Father chooses, the Father predestines, and through the Son, He adopts us, He redeems us, He sanctifies us, He forgives us, He cleanses, He justifies us. And then, to seal the deal, He sends the Holy Spirit to make sure that we get that inheritance. And this is incredible because this is not a verbal promise of a God that says, do this and I promise this will happen to you. No, no, no. He gives, he gives us something tangible today that will make sure that we get to heaven. And let me remind you, it's not up to you to get to heaven. I don't know if you noticed, but from beginning to end is one God doing everything for you. He chooses us, he sanctifies us, and then he sends the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of your inheritance. The guaranteeing of the inheritance is not dependent on you. There's no language in the whole book of Ephesians that says, but if you mess up, no. He is a guarantee of your inheritance. He is a down payment. And he's already working on everything. He is the seal. He is the ticket. He is the one that when you show up, the bouncer in heaven is going to be like, let me see your seal. And you're going to have that seal. And you're going in. That is what the Holy Spirit does for us. And Jesus said in John to his disciples, it is convenient for you. Believe me, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send you something better. And if you notice, the Father sends the Son, and the Son sends the Spirit, and all to accomplish the work of salvation for us. Let me just give you a little bit of a, a, a list of all the things that the New Testament says that the Holy Spirit will do for us. Number one, he's called the helper. Right there, you already know what he's here for. John 14 
clearly states, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper so that he may be with you forever. The helper is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. This is not for everybody. This is only for those who, who were chosen. And then he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all that I said to you. So the Holy Spirit will teach us, will remind us of everything that Jesus has said, will help us, will bring conviction of sin to our lives, will reveal the word to us, will provide the power to preach the gospel and witness to others about the gospel, will give us wisdom, will guide us, will give us knowledge, will help us in our weakness, will sanctify us, will help us bear fruit, will give us the words to speak in trouble. Like, what else do we need? The Holy Spirit is a guarantee of your salvation. And this is why, and you can totally disagree with me, but this is why I am a Calvinist. I don't see what I even put or add to anything that God is doing. It's clear that he chose me for, a, for his purpose, not because of me. And it is clear that he sent Jesus Christ to die for this sinful man standing in front of you. And it is clear that it is God himself through the Holy Spirit who keeps doing things that I'm not doing myself. And I wish, I pray that as I say this and you read scripture, you can see that in your life. That it is God's love for us. Just pushing you forward and pushing you forward. And you say, God, I am this horrible person. And God's like, I know, that's part of my plan. I'm working. And then you just keep going for some reason. They're like, God, but I like, and then you just like, it's, it's like, that's Christian life. For some reason, I'm still here. And for some weird reason, I'm going to get to heaven. It's not a weird reason. It's because of Christ. But it, that's how I see it. I'm like, I don't even know why. And this is the best part of it all. He does it for his own sake, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 9, to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, to the praise of his glory. And I remember I was in Mexico and I was preaching this and then I had somebody who was not a believer and, and approached me at the end and said, what a narcissistic God you have. And I said, I, I, I see why you say that. The Bible clearly states that everything God does is for his glorious name. In fact, we probably all know Psalm 23, right? And we love the part of the, of the sheep and the water and all that stuff. And that he guides us through this. But he literally says, he restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. We think that it's because he loves us and we're this beautiful sheep. And we talked about the <laughs> sheep the other day. But it's not. He's not doing it because we are this beautiful sheep that he loves and we're so tender that he's like, oh, look at them. No. He does it for his name's sake. And I would say that without the word of God, the appreciation of this person was correct. What a narcissistic God. But it is incorrect in the fact that 
There is no other way this can happen. Because if God acted based on anything else, it would not be convenient for us. Narcissism in humans works the other way around. Narcissism in humans, when you act for your own sake, you end up hurting others. And that's why we're in the state that we are. Narcissism in humans, because humans are sinful, find a way to hurt or escalate or utilize or abuse others for their own sake. But in, in God's terms, this is not narcissism. This is the only way God acts. He acts for his own sake because that's the best thing he can do. Because he's pure, because he knows it all, and because he knows and he's all-powerful and he can do whatever he wants, but it's the best way because he's love. Because he acts out of love. He acts out of his own character. He acts because he is love himself. So I want to tell you that every time you hear that God does this for his own glory, it's because he's benefiting you. Let me tell you this, and, and a quick reminder, his own glory, his own purpose, his own will was to create you. His own glory, his own purpose was to create this earth. Fine-tune this earth so that we can have beautiful oceans and rivers and mountains and everything we have right now. Your, your favorite food was crafted by the creator for his own glory. That person that you love so much, your children that you absolutely adore, were crafted by the creator based on his glory. That thing that you enjoy so much was crafted by the creator for his own glory. And all of that benefits us. God is not moved by circumstances or feelings or people's opinions or anything else. And that is the best thing that could happen to us. He is not moved because a queen just died. He has seen that thousands of times. And he's still there. He doesn't care if there's a war here or a war there. He cares about that, but he's not moved by that. He has a plan. God loves us. And the fact that he works to the praise of his own glory is the best thing that can happen to us. And in the words of uh, one of my favorite theologians, René Padilla, he says, everything in this section is designed to evoke praise to God in us. He chose you, praise God. He's sanctifying you, praise Jesus. He redeemed you, praise God. He forgave you, glory to God. He sent the Spirit for you, thank you, Jesus. Everything that we just read is not controversial. It's for the glory of God. It's so that we are removed from the picture and he takes all the glory. Paul will say this in the next chapter. We are not saved based on our works so that no one may boast. And he's doing it from chapter 1. So I want to end by reminding us again, look at everything that God has done for us. 
Each person of the Trinity loves you deeply. Each person of the Trinity is actively working to save you. Not only on this earth, but actually spiritually as well, and in the next world. And this is all by grace. And I want to highlight this. If you didn't hear anything I say, please hear. Your salvation is not dependent on what you do. It's dependent on what Jesus has done for you already on the cross. You are forgiven by Jesus' blood. And that is a motivator for us to go back to God. Listen, if you think you are saved by what you do, you will always run away from God. Because you will always fall short of doing And that mentality of Christians is actually what causes you to stop praying and stop coming to church and stop hanging out with other Christians every time you sin because you think it's you. And you are ashamed of your sin and you should be, but instead of running away, you should go back to the source because it's by grace. Because it's not based on your sin. It's based on Jesus' work on the cross. So every time you sin, run to him. He knows. He knew. He loves you anyway. He paid for that sin. Jesus went on the cross because you sinned. You're not surprising God every time you sin. He knows it. That's why he chose you. He's sanctifying you. He loves you. He wants you to go back to him. That's why salvation by grace is so important. Because it's not based on us. Being a Christian is not being better. Being a Christian is not being good. Being a Christian is understanding how much you need Jesus daily. It's by grace. It's not by works. And everything we just read is proof of God's love. And there is a down payment, a guarantee, a helper inside of you that will make sure that you get to heaven. And if you're not a believer... This is all available to you too. And the invitation will stand now and until the last day of your life. But I want to say today is the day. Repent and come to Jesus. He's waiting. His arms are open wide. He's not going to reject you. I don't care what you've done. He loves you. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for everything you've done for us. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for predestining in us. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for sanctifying us. Thank you for making us your sons and your daughters. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit. Thank you because you help us in every single way. Thank you because you love us so much and you have provided everything we need for salvation. Thank you. And Lord, we praise you. We honor you because you are so good. And so amazing that you have given us this gift that we don't deserve. Lord, I pray that this will be solidified in our hearts and will evoke praise and worship to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. And each week we, we respond tangibly by uh, celebrating communion. And community is, is actually